Hey everyone, welcome to part one of our new series entitled Walk. We just have two weeks uh, in this series, it's just a short one, and we're looking at uh, 2 John and 3 John. They're two of the shortest books in the Bible, and each uh, are just a single chapter. Yet there's so much that we can learn just from these two uh, chapters of Scripture. This week we're going to be in 2 John. It was written about 85 years after Christ's death to a church in Asia Minor by, shockingly, the Apostle John. Uh, The entire book is 13 verses. And it doesn't really serve as a brand new lesson to the church, but carries a couple vital reminders. So John is writing to this church that he is shepherding. He's saying, hey, I'm I'm not writing this to you to teach you something new, something life-changing, but to remind you of something that you already know. So we'll, we'll set the stage here just a little bit. Many people at the time were trying to bring a message to the church that Jesus wasn't exactly who he said he was, or that God only came upon the person of Jesus for a short period of time, and that Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, plus other teachings about who God was or, or how one was to worship him. And we have to remember, this is only 85 years after Jesus, and yet they were dealing with a ton of stuff that we probably see today 2,000 years later in our culture. So John is writing to the church as someone who is directly dealing with what he will classify as deceivers that are trying to make their way into the church that he is shepherding and trying to to skew their beliefs and trying to make little adjustments here and there or these overarching policy changes uh, that that go against the message of Jesus. And John is trying to make sure that everything comes back to the central message of the gospel. So we're going to start in 2 John verse 4. And it simply says this. It says, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. So this is still in the greeting of this letter that he is writing to the church in Asia Minor, but he's saying, it's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. So the first point today is this, encourage successes, encourage successes. The way that John starts off this letter to the church is an incredible reminder that we have to be people that identify and applaud those in our lives when they succeed, when they succeed spiritually, when they succeed practically, whatever it may be, that we would be people who identify the successes in others' lives and we say, hey, you're doing an absolutely incredible job. It will change our culture. It's something that goes uh, against our humanity. Like we, we don't usually point out the successes in other people because we're selfish. And so we feel like if we, if we highlight the successes of others, we are just diminishing what we're doing ourselves. And, and it's just an amazing thing when somebody goes against that, they go, they go counterculture with that. I, I was at church uh, a couple weeks ago here at Faith Chapel and we were out in our lobby area and there was somebody with me that, that I'd known for a really long time. He wasn't a part of our church, but he was watching this guy that I also knew. And he has four kids and he was corralling all of them. And he was just doing what dads do. Like he was, he was trying to make sure they were safe. He was trying to make sure that they weren't disrupting other people. He was doing all these different things. And the guy that was with me goes up to him and he goes, Hey man, like, I don't know you, but I just want you to know, like, you're doing a great job. Like you're an awesome dad. And to see the look on this congregant's face, to see just what that did to him, it probably made his entire day, his entire week. Cause sometimes we don't know if we're doing a very good job as dads, as husbands, as brothers, as sisters, as employees, whatever it may be. So when somebody gives us encouragement, it changes everything. It can be so easy easy to become people that only have those intentional conversations when we need to point out what 
what someone is doing wrong. And we don't want to just talk to people when we're correcting them. We want to actually get to know people. We want to encourage them. We want to do all of the things that would make a, a hard conversation easier because we have built rapport. I get the incredible opportunity of hanging out with high schoolers and junior hires as well as young adults. And uh, we have a group of junior hires right now that are absolutely amazing, but some of them are really, really hard. And what I love is that those hard ones are even coming to church, that they're even a part of our ministry right now. And it's really easy for us to just look at those and say, hey, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop acting that way, don't talk that way. And those will be the only contact points that we have with them all night at youth group, all week. And we want to make sure that those aren't the only contact points, that we are having those good conversations. That the second they walk through the door, they haven't done a single thing wrong. It's like, hey, how are you? How's your week? How's school? Tell me what's going on. Because that communicates that we care about them, not just about what they're doing. And we, in our lives, have a tendency to start to care more about what people are doing than actually care about them. So if we're just correcting, we're just caring about what they're doing. So what we want to do is we want to encourage their successes. We want to encourage who they are as people so that they feel the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. No news might be good news sometimes in our workplaces, but it's not the best thing in our lives. The best thing is when we lift each other up with intention, when we lift each up each other up purposefully. The church was probably pumped to hear that someone was full of joy watching them. We, we could always use encouragement. We all love being encouraged. And, and this was their pastor. This was a guy that they looked up to. And he is saying like, hey, I, I just want to encourage you. It fills me with joy to watch some of you walking in the truth. And that's the next point is this, is that he was filled with joy because they were walking in the truth. And walking in the truth might seem like a phrase that could be described in a lot of different ways, but for the church then to the, in the context of the audience that John is writing to, the truth was Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 6, this is just the gospel of John, same author. Jesus says this, it says that Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. See, John was referring to the fact that Jesus said flat out that he was the truth. He was the only truth. And today, just like then, there are going to be so many different opinions on so many different things. And it's easy for us to be pushed and pulled in a thousand different directions. This is true of our opinions on politics, on social issues, on justice issues, on relationships, and it even comes down to our faith. And with most things, there's this ability to have gray area, areas where we can agree to disagree, where we have relationships with people, where we don't have to agree on everything, but we're still in relationship with each other. However, when it comes to Jesus, there isn't any gray area. He is everything. Everything that we do and everything that we should be rooted in is the fact that Jesus wasn't just a man. He was the Messiah. He is our Savior. He is our atoning sacrifice. He died, he rose again, and he's still alive and active today, that Jesus is the truth. See, we're called to live a life of surrender to him, and that is impossible to do if we aren't certain of the foundational element of who he is. John knew that this church was having a hard time dealing with messages that were in direct opposition to this one, and even messages that, that made just little small adjustments here and there. And that is why the call is always to bring everything back to Jesus. He's got to be at the center. So if we can have this foundational truth that Jesus is the truth, then everything flows from that posture. Then John goes on to say this in verses five and six. He says, dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command. I'm writing a command we have heard from the beginning. I'm asking that we love one another. 
The way we show our love is to obey God's commands. He commands you to lead a life of love. That's what you have heard from the beginning. So the next point is this, walking in love and obedience. All the messages of these people were combating against the the message of Jesus. John wanted the church to be obedient to the message of Jesus and Jesus alone. There was one unifying message that Jesus spoke to everyone that followed him. Luke chapter 10, verses 20, verse 27 says this. It says, He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and love him with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is in response to a Pharisee that says, who, who, What's the greatest commandment? Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he simply says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning this, love God and love people. That is the greatest greatest act of obedience that we can perform as followers of Jesus. Jesus says that everything in the law and the prophets fall under these two commandments. The message of Christ literally took hundreds of to-dos and boiled them down to two. And he says this, although all the law, all the prophets, everything boils down and hangs under these two commandments, that if you love God and you love people, you'll be successful at doing all the other things that I've asked you to do. And obedience is a tricky thing, and most of us aren't very good at it, especially when there are hundreds of rules to be obedient to. However, most of us can look at two and we can say, that's manageable. I think that maybe I can do that. And we will be imperfect. We are we are fallible. But if we can just strive to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we can love our neighbors, ourselves, if we love the people around us more than we love ourselves, we will be successful at all the things that God has asked us to do. And if we can be obedient to those two things, it's going to change the way that we live. I found this definition of obeying God, and it says this. It says, obeying God means moving aside and allowing God, his word, his Holy Spirit, and his way of operating to move in our lives. It means trusting and having faith that he will be true to his word. We cannot claim to love God without obeying him and his word. It's really hard to love something that you're not willing to be obedient to. But if we are willing to be obedient to God and what he has asked us to do, it communicates a great message of love to him and to the people around us. If they see us being obedient to what God has asked us to do, they will see that we love God. And in that, we will be loving them because that's also a part of the command. And if they can see that we are loving them, it's going to change our relationships. So John is calling for obedience and that obedience is the command to walk in love. And love is sometimes this thing that we have a hard time getting a grasp on. You see, there were at least seven Greek words for love. There was a word for romantic love, a word for family love, a word for friend love, a, a word for self-love, a word for a love word for empathy. Like there was just all of these words because it was this super complicated emotion. It was a super complicated feeling. And yet we use one for so many different things. So we fail to grasp what the command actually is. Like I love my wife and I love my friends, but they are very different kinds of loves. Yet I'll say, hey man, I love you. And I will tell my wife, hey, babe, I love you. And those communicate two very different things. And so this, this idea of love, we just we throw it around. But that's, that's, this is the reason why. This is the reason why it's important that we understand that love is complicated because love is not a feeling. Love is an action. And we understand that there are millions and millions of different actions, but there's only one feeling of love. And that's that's what we won't need to communicate is that love is not a feeling. Love is an action. What we have to understand is that our obedience to God is communicated through action, not just feelings, not just words. Our obedience to God is communicated through action, not just feelings, not just words. About a month ago, we talked about how Jesus was a man of action, that he didn't just feel, but he stepped in and he engaged 
That's how he loved people. He engaged with them in their mess. He engaged with them in their disparity. He engaged with them in their joy, engaged with them in their joy. And that is how we are called to love people as well. That we would be people who engage, that we'd be people who step in and get right into the mess with people, that we would get right into the successes with people, but we'd be people who don't just say things or feel things, but that we would actually take action. In, in fact, in, in 1 John, the first of the three letters, he, he writes this in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. He says, we know what love is because Jesus Christ gave his life up for us. So we should give our lives up for our brothers and sisters. Suppose someone sees a brother or sister in need and is able to help them. And suppose that a person doesn't take pity on these needy people. Then how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, don't just talk about love. Put your love into action. Then it will truly be love. Here's how we know that we hold to the truth. And here's how we put our hearts at rest, knowing that God is watching. So there's a couple things that I think that we have to engage with, that we, that we have to look at today as we wrap up. One's a statement and one's a question. First, the statement. Jesus's love for us isn't based on what we do or what we don't do. It is based on what he already did. It can be really easy for us to, to hear that, that love is an action, and then we feel like, okay, well, there are these boxes that I have to check. And that's not what we're trying to communicate. What we have to understand is that love has been communicated through action towards us already, that it's not about our actions towards God, that it's about his actions toward us, and that everything that we do is a reaction to that truth, that we are reacting to what Jesus has already done. And through that, our actions communicate very clear messages. His feelings for us were communicated on the cross. That's an action that holds up forever. We love because he first loved us. So we need to understand that, that Jesus's love for us isn't based on what we do or what we don't do. It's based on what he already did. That's really important for us to move forward in loving the people around us. And the way that we love God is reacting to that action. That is how we take action. And then the second is a question, and it goes right along with this. Is there action in my love? Can I honestly say that there is action in my love? Am I being obedient to what God is asking me to do? Am I communicating my love to God by being obedient? Am I proving it? And that's, that sounds kind of weird, like proving our love, but we need to ask ourselves, like, is there weight behind my words? If I tell people that I love Jesus, do I show it? If I tell people that I love them, do I show it? We have to be people who don't just talk about the love of God or, or who say that we love people. We actually have to do that. We actually have to show the love of God. We have to just show that we love God, and we actually have to show that we love people. It's not just a passing, hey, man, love you, or hey, like, I, I love you. I'll be praying for you. Like, we're not doing that. We want to be people of action. We want, we want to prove it time and time again. We don't want our words to be empty because Jesus's words were never empty. He said that he loved us. He said so many incredible things, and then he proved it on the cross. And while we're not called to, to die on a cross for the sins of other people, we are called to carry our cross. We are called to, to carry the love of Jesus into the lives of the people around us. And so let's be people of action. Let's be people who love people so well that they would never ever, ever, ever question whether or not that is truth. Thanks so much for tuning back into the College Age Movement podcast. Like we always say, if you're in Billings, we would love to see you in person. We meet at seven o'clock at Faith Chapel on Tuesday nights. If not, uh, we hope that this podcast continues to bring you life, continues to, to fill you up, and we will talk to you really soon.